0: Speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Now notice this, and he will show you things to come. He will show you things to come. This is the uh, exclusive advantage of people who go to The house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth because he said that he would be with us in the 14th chapter of John's gospel and he would be in us. He would be in us. And so if I could be so bold as to say it, I believe that I'm a saved man. I believe that I was truly born again into the family of God as the third chapter teaches. I believe that the Holy Spirit is in this building right now because the Bible says so. And I believe the Holy Spirit is in me right now because God said so. I believe the Holy Spirit is in your midst as you sit out there this morning, and I believe that he's in your heart right now. And so the the issue is, and sometimes we don't pay careful enough attention to what the Bible actually says, but that's the reason we're in here to study the Bible. The work of the Holy Spirit is to show you things to come. Okay? We are the only people on the face of the earth that know the future. You can't look at Fox News and know what the future's gonna be. You can't go to the various colleges and universities or just pick up somebody's book that's trying to figure out how to put everything together. I don't care how smart the person happens to be academically. Uh it's like the man uh Hansen, what's his first name? It's on the news uh from California. Victor Hansen. He's one of the smartest people I've ever heard talk. He's really something else. Victor Hansen. But I'm not sure what Victor Hansen's knowledge is of the Bible, but it doesn't matter how much he understands history uh, and can explain many, many things, and he's brilliant. He does not have the advantage of somebody in this church that believes this book. Because the express purpose of the Holy Spirit is to show us things to come. Now turn with me to Revelation. <clears throat> Let me show you something else. I want you to, I want you to get this, um, this particular point um, clearly in your mind. Revelation chapter 4. And the first thing I want to do before I read you this verse is I want to remind you of chapters 2 and 3. Because chapters 2 and 3 are letters to the churches. Letters to the Churches, chapters 2 and 3. Starts with Ephesus and ends with the church at Laodicea. But then you come to the fourth chapter. And the Lord is still speaking to the church through the Apostle John. And he says, come up hither. Come up here. And I will show thee things which must be Hereafter. Wow. How about that? Now, when you go all the way to the end of the book, to chapter 22, look at verse 16, if you'd like to look at that. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things... In the churches, what things? Everything from chapter 4 to chapter 22. Everything. Well, what is that? It's things to come. Folks, we're the only people on the face of the earth that can know the future because that's what the Bible is. It's a prophecy book. We need to understand these things when we're talking to people. And be able to show them the verses that prove the point. So it's, this is an exciting thing. It's exciting to me. I look at what's going on in the Middle East, and I don't worry about anything. I really don't. I'm to show you another one. Look at Zechariah, the book of Zechariah. Verses 9 and 10, Zechariah. Zechariah is just before Malachi, so that's the Old Testament, Zechariah, Malachi. Um, And verse 9. I'm sorry, chapter 12. Thank you. Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 9. And it shall come to pass... In that day. And so this is a prophecy. This is a prophecy. That I will seek to destroy. All the nations. That come against Jerusalem. This is going to be a future day now. And God is telling us. That he's going to seek to destroy. Every single nation. That comes against Israel to battle. Well. If you study the Bible, you learn what we've spent quite a bit of time studying about in this church, and it's Ezekiel 38 and 39. In those chapters, well, if you back up to chapter 37, that's the chapter that deals with uh, the rebirth, what you might say, of Israel as a nation after being scattered for 2,500 years. And so it's the Valley of Dry Bones, and the question is, can it live again? And the answer is, yes, it can, and it did in 1948. So that's Bible prophecy telling us the future because this is the exclusive uh,
1: uh,
0: privilege and understanding of God's children is we can know the future because the whole Bible is about the future. And so he's telling us that in the last days, Russia is going to invade Israel. There's no doubt about it. Russia's going to do it. We know without having to, scratch our heads and perspire concerning Ukraine and all of these things that are going over there, we know that Ukraine is not going to survive. They are not. The politicians in Washington do not know this, but we do. I mean, think about what I just said. The politicians in Washington are doing everything they can, sending billions Of dollars to Ukraine. Why? To help them defeat Russia. Ain't gonna happen. I can tell you that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our leaders in this country read and understood and believed the Bible? We're wasting, we're wasting our energy in hopes of something that's not gonna happen. Russia is one of is this probably the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. One of the reasons I just said that is because they would be foolish to invade the Middle East if they thought America was. I mean, think about it. There was a time that we had the the power to wipe them off the face of the earth. We had a nuclear power. We had national fear in the world and people would think twice about messing with this country. That's not true today. In all the years that we have been in a nation, there has never been a time that the world at large would look at the United States as weak. But listen, you look at the news, I look at the news, how do you think that that perspective would affect Russia? I think it would affect them in the way that they would move as the Bible says they will. They're going to move against the Middle East and they're going to do it with the Arab allies. These are the nations that the Lord is talking about to a great extent, the nations. You've got the UN. But the primary ones that are hostile toward Israel right now and there's a number of them, is Russia and their allies. And of course, China is not a friend by any means. And so these are likely the nations that are that are involved, but we have to also include a certain element in our own country because we've got uh, Palestinian sympathizers in our United States Congress. Think about it. You've got anti-Semitism in America, big time. Sure do. And so there's a certain element in this nation that is somewhat divided. That's part of our weakness that I think is in Scripture. And so I think that And I'm saying, I think, and I want you to make sure you realize I'm not necessarily saying that I can put my finger on the verse that tells you everything that I'm saying. I'm trying to put together a biblical, logical conclusion. I think there's value in that. I don't know every detail about this, But the Lord has given us something of a big picture that's certain. And I'll tell you what's certain. Israel is going to be invaded by Russia and the allies. It's already in the book. Anybody can read it, and I don't think they can get any other understanding out of it. The question is, And this is where I'm trying to fill in the blanks with some logic because I think logic is an actual bridge. It's a bridge that takes you from one point to the next point. Logic is a bridge to help you connect things. And so there's such a thing as biblical logic. And I think the biblical logic is that America, which has historically been the most powerful nation in the world for the past 200 years, is not necessarily in that place today. And I think it's gonna cause Putin or whoever the leader is in Russia at that time that that invasion takes place, which I think could be imminent It could happen at any time. I believe that Putin is going to survey the world and conclude if I'm ever going to do this, I'm going to have to do it now. Why? All you got to do is look toward Washington. We've got the weakest, most disgraceful leadership this country has had in a long time. And um, I think that we're the weakest militarily that we've ever been in a long time. And that president is taking our treasury and giving it away, and we don't even have the money to back it up. Living as though we're wealthy, rich, uh with no end to our treasury. And the Republicans, the conservative Republicans that are up there have now got their little caucus together uh, to say we're putting a stop to this and we're going to impeach this president. And so Those those guys are having a hard time because they can't get the votes to do what they want done, and that is to impeach this president get rid of him and put a stop to these Democrats and put a stop to that open border down there which has destroyed our national identity. I'm telling you, we're living in a tent in the woods, and if somebody were to ask us where we lived, we do not have a specific place. We don't have a border anymore. We don't have a house. We're living in a place without borders, like a a tent dweller, a vagabond. And that's what this administration is doing to our country. And so, a nation without borders is a is not a nation. It isn't. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> verse nine of Zechariah twelve says that, "And it shall come to pass that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem." And then verse 10, and this takes us right into the seven years of tribulation, the 10th verse. And I will pour upon the uh, the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn, his firstborn, his firstborn son. Okay, how do you understand this? Well, If you read carefully, and we're not going to take time to look, but if you'll do this, if you go to Ezekiel 38 and 39 and read carefully what it says, here's what it says, and you can look for it. In both of those chapters, it says in that day that God destroys Russia and the Allies, that the whole world is going to know that he is the Lord. Okay, so when the Lord does that at the beginning of the tribulation period, which is when it takes place, I believe, then Israel is going to know what they did. They crucified their Messiah. That's what this verse is saying right here. When are they going to recognize this? When the Lord says they're going to recognize it. Well, when does he say they're going to recognize it? He says it in Ezekiel 38. He says, when I intervene and destroy Russia, America is not going to save Israel, according to Scripture. What other nation is there in the world that can jump in there and save Israel from Russia? Folks, there isn't anybody If you study the Bible, you will learn that God always shows up when there's no human remedy. That's as plain as anything you'll ever study in the Old Testament. God always showed up when Israel was absolutely helpless and had no hope whatsoever. That's when God raises up the Judges. Like, at one point, Deborah, because he couldn't find any men. He raised up a woman to save Israel. He can do that. Uh, So all those judges that we read about in the book of Judges are examples of God showing up at the darkest hour. Well, If you look at the national scene right now, you can tell that there's no hope for Israel with the most powerful nation in the world coming against them, coupled with the Arab world. So they're completely surrounded by Arabs. And so God is gonna destroy both That is what's going to enable uh, the Jews to rebuild the temple in three and a half years, which they have to do. For the Antichrist to go into the temple of God, declaring himself to be God, they have to build that temple. Well, how can they do it if the Arab world is intact? They couldn't. But if God destroys the powers of the Arab world along with Russia, what nation in the world is gonna try to stop them from building their temple and taking all of the property that God promised Abraham? There isn't anybody, and that's what the Bible tells us. Now, I told you at the beginning that the Lord said the exclusive position that his people would have in the world is that of knowing the future. He would show us things to come. John's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 13. Revelation, chapter 4 and verse 1. Come up hither, and I will show you things to come. Revelation chapter 22, he tells John that everything that he has said in the whole book, from Revelation chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, is for the churches, the churches, which is the pillar and ground of truth. You want to know the truth about the future? Read the Bible. It's in here. And so these are things that I I thought that I would mention once again uh, as we get into this. Um, And the next thing I wanted to bring to your attention is something that just occurred to me early this morning as I was thinking about this third chapter. And it's the testimony of Jesus Christ to Nicodemus, this ignorant ruler, a man that was supposed to be smart, that's supposed to know stuff, and he knew nothing. He didn't know anything. And what the Lord tells him, and it's the major point in the testimony of Jesus Christ to Nicodemus, he's teaching Nicodemus, you hate me and you don't even know it. You hate me. And you don't even know it. The Lord Jesus said in John 15 and verse 25, they hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. Now here's a thought that occurred to me this morning. Jesus Christ loves us without a cause. You ever thought about it? We hate him without a cause. He loves us without a cause. He loves us. You give me a cause for him to love you or me, I don't know of one. I mean, in our nature, we are totally depraved, self-centered, selfish, We hardly ever give him the time of of day and the only reason we do is because somebody came along by the mercy and grace of God to witness to us at a point in our life to turn us from our way to think about his way. To turn us away from our thoughts to consider his thoughts. I mean, think about it. How much time before somebody came to you and started witnessing to you, just think about your own personal life. How many times did you ever get up and read this book? I never did. The only time I ever read the Bible was actually when I was a teenager at one point. But you know why I read it? so that I could have my own self-righteousness. And if somebody ever asked me again, when they ask me, are you a Christian? And have you ever read the Bible? I could actually say and be honest about it with my own honesty apart from God, my own righteousness apart from God. I could say in truth, yeah, I've read the whole Bible. And the truth is, the whole time I was reading it, I couldn't wait until I got to the last chapter. So I could close the book, forget about it, and go on with my own self-righteousness and say, Yep, I've read the Bible. I couldn't tell you anything about it. And why would I even have such a mindset? The reason is because I was self-centered to the core. And the only thing that I cared about was my will and what I wanted to do and my future the way I wanted my future to be. And I lived that way for 26 years. And, And the Lord had to wreck my life. He had to allow me to wreck my life. He didn't have to do anything. I wrecked my own life. And when I was sitting there in dust and ashes with practically nothing left, God looks down, and out of mercy and grace, he sends a believer, a believer to witness to me, to give me something to think about. And by the mercy and grace of God, I turned my attention to this book and started reading it. And I've been reading it and studying it for 51 years. Now I don't know what your testimony is um, but I can tell you that for 26 years I hated God and didn't even know it. I was just like Nicodemus. He thought he loved God so did I. If somebody had come up to me and said, you hate God, I'd have probably slapped them down. But they'd be exactly right. And I proved it every day of my life by refusing to even read the greatest love letter ever written. There's no love letter compared to this one. There's no one that would love the ungodly, and that's what I was, absolutely ungodly. What I worshipped was myself, and so did you. And I was angry with anybody, including God, that would get in my way in terms of what I thought And my will being done. My way. Because I believed that I could, at the end, have my own paradise. And that I was quite capable of having paradise in this life with my mind and my way. I hated God. And didn't know it. And I was educated with a master's degree from the university. When it came to psychology and philosophy, I had the education. I sat at the feet of some of the smartest people in the world, I believe. I sure did. And learned nothing, nothing, in such a way that I could identify with Um, Pilate, who made that amazing statement in that court trial, what is truth? He didn't know, and neither did I. And in all of my years of going to church, which I was taking to church from the time I was Well, in my mother's womb, I went at church. And I never had impressed on my mind John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 6, where the Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But I learned that. I sure did. I learned the answer to the question, what is truth? And I learned that it's not an academic. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just a creed. It's a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Nicodemus did not know this. He did not. He comes to the Lord by night. And God in his infinite wisdom and genius is explaining his spiritual condition. He was living in the dark. And so was this man right here. Living in the dark. When I read the Bible today, and I read about people like Nicodemus, I'm reading about me. I'm reading my story, my own testimony, my own personal experience. And I'm learning um, every day more and more about how I hated God and didn't have the good sense to even know it. And I hated him without a cause. He was absolutely innocent. And I ignored him without a reason. But God loved me without a cause. There was nothing whatsoever about me that would cause God to have anything to do with me at all. He loved me and He loved you without a cause, without a reason. You know why? He didn't need a reason because of his nature. God is love. And there's no one in the universe to compare to him. And that's how the Lord taught me the definition of the glory of God. The definition of the glory of God is just as simple. There's no one to compare to him. That's his glory. There's no one that can compare their love to the love of God. No one. Because we, by our nature, love those that love us. We love people when we're getting something out of them. What could God get out of me? Absolutely nothing. What could he get out of you? Absolutely nothing. If there was something he could get out of you that he needed, he wouldn't be God. He doesn't need anything. And so the question then is why would he love us without a cause? Now we need to think about the answer. The answer has to do with his nature, it has to do with his character, not ours, but his. It has to do with his personality, his nature. And his character. And he is the only one in the universe that can love without a reason. And he does. And the glory of it, the glory of it, is the incomparable comparison. When you try to compare his love to anybody else, you won't find it. Every single person in this room deserves to be burning in hell right now. And we haven't got the good sense to really realize it. And we prove it in our relationship with one another on a regular basis every day. How we look at somebody and think we're better than they are. We're artists at seeing other people's faults, but we don't see our own We're evil to the core. And like Nicodemus, we're in the dark. We haven't got the good sense to even see it. And so the message of the Bible is not talking about this guy over here across the street. The message of the Bible is to us personally. And I was in the dark. And by the mercy and grace of God, I did the same thing Nicodemus did. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. Why did he do that? Well, I can tell you this. It had more to do with the mercy and grace of God than anything else. That guy... At some point, by the mercy and grace of God, realized that his status as a ruler, his status as an educated man, his status as a student of the word of God, really meant nothing. And he had death in front of him, waiting for him. And he didn't know how he was going to handle it. And neither do we. And so the Lord, in my journey, taught me a great lesson. He taught me that I knew no more about living than I knew about dying. And this was what Nicodemus had come to. And that's what Dwight creeds came to. I had friends, I had acquaintances that were dying all around me. People that I was in college with, getting killed, dying. And so I couldn't help but be honest enough to think about my own demise that I was going to die one day too. And so what did I know, apart from this book, that was going to provide me some kind of eternal security? Eternal security. And so I spent several years reading this book, trying to figure out how to be honest in claiming eternal security. And you know what? Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. And the reason is because I kept trying to be good enough and educated enough in God's word that one day I could feel like that God was going to let me into heaven because I had become good enough. In my conversion to him, my conversion to him, that he would look at me and The good would outweigh the bad, and that's how I would get to heaven. On the foundation of my faith in him. And you know what the Lord did? He taught me that I would never have enough faith. I would never have enough faith to have eternal security, which is absolute. Where you can't be wrong, you can't be wrong. You don't have to worry about works of any kind. And I was mystified by it. And I lived without assurance of salvation for years. Part of that was in this church as principal of Calvary Christian School. That's right. As a member of this church. Teaching the Bible. I've been adult teacher for about as long as I've been here in this church. And I was standing up here teaching the Bible, and I did not understand. I couldn't seem to get handles on the doctrine of eternal security. And one day, the Lord opened it up, and I understood it absolutely perfectly. Perfectly. And I began to teach it in this pulpit right here. And I'm going to teach it until the day I die. I'm going to tell everybody that'll listen to me how they can have everlasting life. What I'm talking about right now, Nicodemus had no clue. And he was a ruler, and I was a principal of a school, a ruler. And I couldn't tell people for sure, even though I believe I was saved. But I was still ignorant. But I was still growing. And God, because of the nature that he has, was very patient. But he wanted to show me a little bit at a time. So that when I did learn it, I would actually learn it. And I did. And I know it. I know it. And so I want to show you how I know it. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We haven't got a lot of time to wrap this up, but I think I can wrap this up. You need to know this. Romans chapter 10, verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith, and that's the word, faith. I did not have eternal security. I did not have absolute faith, which is what eternal security is. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend up in heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Okay, he's making the connection here between faith and Christ. And he's saying, don't say uh, we need God to come down to tell us the truth. We need Christ to come down from above. Don't say that. Verse 7, or who shall descend into the deep? That is, to go beyond the grave into the deep. That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. In other words, he's talking about two phases of human existence. One is while we're alive, don't say the truth has got to come down because it did. Christ came down. And what came down was the faith. It came down. The faith came down. And say not in thine heart. Who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. We don't have to say that either. Because Christ was resurrected from the dead. Christ was resurrected from the dead. And he was resurrected from the dead with our faith. He came down with our faith. The faith that has absolute security. He was raised from the dead which deals with death and beyond eternity with the faith in his own resurrection. And so then he makes it absolutely clear. He says, but what sayeth it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thine heart that is, look, the word of faith. Now, is the word of faith our word or his word? We'll just read the verse. It's his word. It's his faith. And folks, that's what I did not understand. I kept trying to have my own personal faith powerful enough to take me to heaven and help me to enjoy eternal security. You can't do it. You have to receive the faith that God has in himself to do what he promised to do. And that is to save you from your ungodly, hell-deserving self. And that's it. And that's all you can do. You have to receive the faith that Christ has in himself that he does not lie and he's that kind of person. He will save you in your ungodly state, and there's no other way to be saved. Anybody that doesn't believe that's in the same fix I was in years ago. And I'll pray for you. Now turn to Galatians. Because when you begin to see this, you find it all over the place. Galatians chapter 2. And the Lord Lord showed me these things quite a while ago, several years ago. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. You see that? Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And folks, that changed everything. When I just simply read the words for what they say, The doctrine of eternal security does not begin on earth. It begins in heaven with what God is capable of doing. And here's what He's capable of doing: converting us by imputing into us as a free gift His righteousness by His faith, not ours. You can never work up enough faith to have eternal security. Never. It's the faith of Christ. Hebrews, I'll take you to this one and we'll quit. Hebrews chapter 12. If this doesn't sew it up for you, then you don't want to know the truth. Because this is so plain. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, how can you read that and think of yourself as being the author of eternal security? We're not. He is. If he's the author of it and finisher of it, then what do we have to do with it? Nothing. Nothing. I didn't used to understand that. It's a mystery that is beyond the capability of anybody understanding. That God, and this is what Abraham found. That's the question and. Romans chapter 4, what did Abraham find? He found what I'm teaching you right now. That's what he found. He found that it was not by works. His righteousness was imputed to him as a gift. And God counted it as Abraham's righteousness because God gave it to him he gave it to it if your hope for heaven is any other way you don't understand being born again let me ask you this how 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 involved were you when you were born Were you in any way involved when your dad and mom fell in love and came together? You didn't even exist. And this is what Nicodemus is trying to figure out. How can a man be born all over again? How can, how can a man be born a second time? And the Lord is teaching him, if you don't understand earthly things, how are you going to understand the heavenly? Well, if you didn't have anything to do with your first birth, and you didn't, how could you have anything to do with your second birth? You don't. You don't. The only thing that you can do is believe the word that came down from heaven. You don't even have to pray that the word be sent because Paul said it in Romans chapter 10. Say not in thine heart who shall come down from above. You're not supposed to do that. He's already come down from above. He gave us his inspired and preserved word. And say not in thine heart who shall tell us what's on the other side of the grave. We don't have to do that either. He was raised from the dead with his faith. And he came with his faith and his word. And that word is nigh thee. It's in this room right now. It's nigh thee. You got it in your hand. It's even in your mouth. And in your heart. That is the word of faith. The word of faith which we preach. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth. And believe in thine heart, the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. That's it. Our time is gone. Better have a prayer. Art, dismiss us, brother.